Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Here's a story for you folks. There's four friends who met working in a bar and they open a restaurant together that changes Atlanta dining forever. Oh, and then they happen to open another restaurant that does it all over again. Welcome Brian Rackley, Jesse Smith, Miles McQuarrie, and Matt Christensen to the Atlanta Foodcast. This group of friends, they're the fine gents behind Kimball House and Watchman's, two incredible restaurants that have elevated Atlanta dining to new heights in way of incredible cocktails, innovative menus, and oyster service. And you're going to love this episode, and you're probably going to laugh a lot, and probably as much as we did when we recorded this. And I won't spoil anything for you here, but here they are, Brian, Jesse, Miles, and Matt of Kimball House and Watchman's. Enjoy. that we're sitting here at this awesome table i kind of want to i wish that i could use the lazy susan and not like completely screw everything up but i thought it'd be really cool to put everything on the lazy susan then we just like move the microphone do one microphone and slide it yeah that'd actually be really cool i just you know i'm not like i'm not that skilled with my equipment i guess i'm pretty sure it could work i just i I don't know that i'm the right person to do it um but uh but this is really cool i'm sitting here this is the first time that i've had more than three other people on other microphones on the podcast. So this is, this is officially the largest group that I found. Yeah, we're an inconvenient package. No, in, a, in, a, in the best way. I would say this is, uh, this is just the limitation of what's sitting on the table. But um, I'm, I'm sitting here, and we're, we're going to actually introduce everybody like one by one, and then I actually want to go around and get everybody's like background and stories, and it's going to be really awesome. But um, I'm sitting here with the team of Kimball House and Watchmans, and I really want everyone to kind of go over. Let's do this counterclockwise, because why not? And, um, but introduce yourself and what you do with Kimball House and Watchmans. So on my right. I am Miles McQuarrie. I am the beverage person uh, of both restaurants. Official title, I guess, is beverage director. I do the drink situations. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the only thing I'm good at in the company is <laughs> I do the drinks for both places. You have really nice hair. Thank you. And, and a beautiful mustache, by Thank the way. Thank you. Very yes. much. Daily maintenance required. Yes, yeah. indeed. That's, yeah. It's like the, you know, if I'm going to be a mixologist, I might as well look like one, right? Yeah. Is the, is the mustache the prerequisite? To yeah, kind of. Is, is and I'm not doing a bow tie or like suspenders or anything, so I figure I'll just better. keep the I was gonna creepy, say, thin I, facial hair. I saw piece. a guy wearing shorts and a bow tie earlier today. Yeah, that's just not I, um, I lost a lot of interest yeah, really yeah, quick. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, um, it, was, it was hard to get into. Did you into. ask him to make you a drink? <laughs> um, he didn't seem like he was the most adept um, just at being alive because uh, yeah. he was wearing a blazer with shorts and like boat shoes. Let's talk, oh, shoes. I was going to get yep. the next and question then, with shoes. Um, yeah. But it, it was like the, the pastel kind of color bow tie, almost like... Um, he probably um, owns a bitters company let's be real that's like, <laughs> that's like the uh the bartenders who wear um the vest and tie like like kind of three-piece situation but then they have like jeans with flip-flops i've seen that before yeah. too that's really interesting. yeah I, I don't know where that's really from is that like a low country thing where you wear the the blazer and then you've got the bow tie but then it's like shorts but the the shirt is tucked in and then you're wearing like boat shoes i think it's just the opposite of what we're talking about now they look at us and they're like well fuck let's not do that yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Maybe the they're trying mullet, to do the opposite though. of what we're doing. Yeah. I, yeah. Feel, I feel like it's the new mullet. It's like they're still, hey, I'm cash, but also, you know, I, I don't, I guess, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. serious, but I'm, I'm chill. Oh, business I'm chill up top, side. party down exactly. below. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But don't, I mean, not to derail, but don't you think that's like kind of gone away a little bit? Yes. That look in general. Yeah. I think people yeah. are starting to be a little more normal human. I think bartenders looking. feel like yeah. they can yeah. make cocktails and still be human bartenders yeah. without. They don't you know, have to be a. 
I saw now, a mixologist wearing a t-shirt a the other day. Book. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, I think it's also got the look of like, I'm always going to Skylar's party. Like there's just like some guy and who's you know Skylar party. too? Yeah. Everybody's going to Skylar's party. So that's, um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that's me. Point made. Point made. <laughs> point made. Miles is looking really good, everybody. But this is a podcast, and you have no idea what we're talking about. So that was three minutes and 40 seconds of greatness. So uh, to Miles' right, directly across the table from me. Hello, welcome. my name is Matt Christensen. Um, I do uh, all of our social media and um, online presence and events and beer ordering and... Uh, Sometimes I help Jesse manage and Kizzy manage, our general manager at Kimball House. Um, uh, I think that's about it. I have a question. I, okay. How many people mispronounce your last name on a daily basis? Everyone. <laughs> Even my mom would call me Miles sometimes when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> well, she'd, be like, she'd be like, Miles, I mean, shit, man. <laughs> But hold on, correct me if I'm wrong, but did, weren't you, weren't your, wasn't your family originally Christiansen's and they took out the N because no one could say it? I, I don't think that that's true, <laughs> but it could be. They just kept glossing over well, it so it just stuck? Christensen? I, I, Christ- did, I did the, um, shit, the uh, ancestry thing and nothing came up. <laughs> Wait, so you have no history? Nobody. Not a single person was on there. So some shit, some shit went down it. So it may... Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the voice of Florida Man. (sighs) Fucking Florida Florida Man man. over here. Was he in the Witness Protection Program or something? I saw the best Florida Man thing yesterday. He's on fire right now. Because you know Miles and I are both from Florida. Yeah, as am I. High five. But I'm from the burbs of Orlando, so I don't know if that makes me cool. We're from beautiful, sunny Daytona Beach. Yeah, well, Daytona is, like, cooler. There's, There's a lot, like, there's a lot more, like, white trash glory going on in Daytona. Yeah, that, totally. Yeah. You're, you're looking for an Oxycontin addiction or an STD, <laughs> shit. Yeah, or the best uh, bike week experience you've ever had. There's a lot that goes <laughs> down. Or if you want a, a towel with a spray, or not spray painted, but like airbrushed uh, naked lady on it, like Daytona is the best place to go or for that. NASCAR. Or NASCAR, yeah. Yeah, you want like a boogie board with like a fucking bulldog like surfing yeah. on it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well... Matt Christensen, welcome to the Atlanta Food Cast. Hey, hey well played. <laughs> <laughs> Thank that's, you. That's I'm the whole, happy to be here. That's the whole side of your family ancestry is that we're just in search of a lost continent somewhere. We just don't know where yeah. it went. So, fucking. <laughs> Did you try Matt Christensen? No, I paid to put my real name in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. It's also uh, DNA. They're not mm-hmm. testing your... No, 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 no. no. Not, not 21 and me. Oh, you didn't do DNA? I did Ancestry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ancestry is a little, it's a little more pedestrian than 23andMe. 23andMe is like you fill up a tube with a, it's an inordinate amount of saliva. And then they come back and tell you, here's. On the day you're going to die. Yeah, yeah. And they're like pretty much uh, here, for me at least with my family, is like, here's how much Scandinavian you have in your blood. That was pretty much the whole story. Mm. It was like, wow, we knew all of this before, but we just paid for it this time. It was great. $200 later. Yep. I don't even remember how much it was, but it was really cool. It was like, look at all of these people from Ireland. Those are your ancestors. It was fun. But to Matt's right, the other direction across the table from me, welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Thank you. I'm Jesse Smith. Uh, I kind of do general management. Uh, I make the music playlist. So if you hate that, that's my fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the last song that I heard either here or at Kimball House. 
I also ordered coffee. I do remember having coffee. I'm trying to remember the last song that I heard, though. Playlists are important, though. I think so. Yeah. I was just in, uh, where was I? I literally was in a toy store buying my kids just a little surprise. Did gag. they have a good playlist? Yeah, and it was like Miles Davis. Oh. Yeah, I was like, good for you. Wow. Yeah. They really what kind of the toys do they sell? Like just normal stuff. Okay. It was just like, you know, tchotchke little things. But I was like, good for you. You know who has a good playlist? Kudzu and Decatur. I think it's because of Valerie. It's because Valerie's oh, in yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. But every time I'm in there, I'm like, damn. But they use, uh, they use, they you play the radio. It's like new wave radio, I think, that they're playing. Huh. <laughs> I always hear like girl groups from the 60s in there. It's always nice. Yeah. That's good for Kudzu. I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. Makes yeah. me want to buy antiques. <laughs> yeah, I know. Kudzu's a cool place, though. It makes you want to go to the bathroom, too. Oh, I always use the bathroom there. There's something about <laughs> it's like, one of the best bathrooms the old in the city. dust. It is really clean in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very different than the uh, experience down the street at the Yordicab Farmer's Market. I always oh. wonder what's going to happen to me when I walk in the bathroom there. I don't mind the bathroom there. Yeah, it's, okay there it always just seems like there's some weird conversation that stops immediately when I come around the corner. Like two guys just stare at me in the face. I'm like, I, I didn't mean anything. There's, I want to know what's with the funny look from Miles. I think he's dubious about whether or not dust is a natural laxative. I'm a record collector, so I think that it definitely is. I'm sorry to I'm jump in him. there. But I mean, every time I walk into a record store, I got to take a dump. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt any of this. I do not doubt any of this. I think there's, there's, there's science behind that, but, uh, it's also that record stores are near coffee shops too. So I don't know. True. I, it, who knows? Yeah. It, there's chicken in the egg, right? Yeah. There's, there's something to unpack there. I should when you're element, that. you're relaxed, right? Yeah. Record stores are typically pretty relaxing. Yeah. So to, to Jesse's right, to my left, welcome to the Atlanta food cast. Thank you. And this is, uh, my name is Brian Rackley. I am <laughs> the, Hi, the, the oyster person. Yeah. <laughs> I love everyone's title. I, I, like everyone we don't had, really have them, yeah. so we're just kind of like Miles has a good one, and Matt has a pretty good and then Well, yeah. we all have titles in these like legal documents, but right. I mean, I don't go around calling myself a president of anything. That'd be <laughs> stupid. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do most of our business management and order shellfish. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I have uh, had the chance to partake of many, many oysters over the years between, Whoa. well, now between... Kimball House and Watchman's, which I feel very fortunate. So thank you for awesome. Well, we being appreciate anybody who supports uh, <laughs> either one of our restaurants. Yeah, well that that was that was I think that was probably my favorite introduction of everybody who's uh, been on the show thus far. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is this is going to be interesting because I want I want answers from everybody, but I think you guys can probably answer a little bit for everybody because I know that you guys have quite a bit of history between the four of you. Um, and also, I mean, you you guys have known each other for how long? I, I do. Do you guys keep record of that? Matt and I have known each other since the seventh grade. Seventh, which is seventh. That was in nineteen forty two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were in seventh grade in nineteen forty two. Yeah. No, that was. Um, Let's see. That would have been early '90s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was class of '99. So yeah. How, how old are you in seventh grade? Like thirteen, right? Uh, like 12. 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, something like that. Yeah. They so. met because they were sharing a girlfriend. <laughs> no, we met just because we were, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how we met. And then they shared did. a girlfriend. <laughs> but you guys grew up in Florida. We did well, grow up in Florida. Grew up in Florida. That's awesome. I was just, yeah, it was essentially just down I-4 from you guys in Altamont Springs. So that was home base. So Florida's cool. 
Um, but there's, there's a lot of history between you guys and I want everybody to answer this question. So like I, um, in, in no particular order, whoever really wants to jump at this first, but I want to get to know you guys a little bit, like before you came to know one another and before you opened Kimball house and Watchmen's and everything that's happening now. So I want to know from each of you who, well, first of all, where are you from? Like where was home? And then who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? You guys want me to take this one? Go ahead, Brian. I've got a couple of things to say about that. That's because perfect. I grew up in Valdosta, Georgia, and if you've ever been there, well, um, you, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't really have any interest in playing diplomatic about Valdosta, Georgia. I fucking hated it. I felt like I was in prison my whole life, and I was so glad to be out of there. Um, but, um, I mean, looking back, I mean, I do have nostalgia for, for, you know, a lot of those family experiences. And my mom did most of the cooking for a big chunk of the year because my dad was an accountant. So, you know, he would disappear during tax season. He'd be gone when we got up in the morning and he'd come home and it was, you know, eight at night. And my mom was a dreadful cook. I mean, just <laughs> fucking awful. Um, I, I recall like entire seasons where we lived off this stuff called Chicken Tonight. And I'm pretty sure Chicken Tonight still exists in Australia, but you can't find it stateside. But, I mean, it was one of those things where it was just like you, you got a jar of some sauce and you put it on a chicken breast. And, you know, it was around the same time that we became Sam's Club members. So we would go to Tallahassee and load up on Mountain Dew, Snickers, and chicken breasts and come back. And <laughs> That's so on everyone's had, shopping so list at Sam's Club. Chicken Tonight and, and, uh, and, and, and Snickers is what we lived off of during tax season. But my dad was actually, I mean, you know, it was the 80s and early 90s. Um, and, you know, the, the type of food that we ate was not necessarily what we, what we eat now. Um, trends were certainly a lot different. But um, my dad grew up on a farm and we still had access to that farm. And so we would we'd get vegetables from, from like Wiggum, Georgia. Uh, where the farm was and my dad was a, a good cook i mean he actually he's just one of those guys that you know whether or not he had loads of technique and access to information he was always good at following instructions and was just kind of a soulful cook so i remember a lot of the food that my dad fed me as a kid and i'm i'm, I'm pretty sure that my roots of just like food in general i know my roots that got me into oysters are, are from like dining experiences if you want to call it dining with my father yeah were you a good eater growing up um, yeah, I was. I mean, you know, it, it depended. I mean, there was certainly things that I didn't want to eat, but I, I'm pretty sure that's my mom's fault. <laughs> we had this little cavity right under the table because, you know, the dining room table had a, 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 a place where you put a leaf. So it was just oh, literally yeah. like this compartment under there. Yes. And my brother and I would keep Ziploc bags under there. And so we would just sit in there and pout like little shits on cabbage night until they got up and said, <laughs> well, y'all can come. Get a, you can bring a Star Crunch into HBO or whatever when you get done eating your cabbage. So we just sit there and, and wait it out, and then we'd put that cabbage in a plastic bag and shove it under the table. It's a brilliant strategy. We actually had a table that was really similar, but I never thought about doing that. But there was like that same little like cubby compartment where the leaf would go, and yeah. never thought about that. That's really smart. That's really smart. It's a great way to not eat your cabbage. Do you like cabbage now, though? Um, yeah, I mean, I can eat cabbage now, but I mean, you know, at the time it was just a, a it was a, a pot of stuff all boiling together. Yeah, exactly. And um, it all ended up kind of like tasting like cabbage, but cabbage had the shittiest texture of everything yes. that was in the in the pot. Yeah. And you know, I mean, just we just we just eat this big bowl of food that you know to us smelled and tasted like farts. Yeah, I think that's what everybody was introduced to. Um, 
with uh, with Brussels sprouts back in like the uh-huh. 80s and 90s is like no one ever thought about frying Brussels sprouts in duck fat when for whatever reason back in like no, you cooked plane. food in water yeah, yeah. Like, we yeah. boiled everything because it was it was the way to kill all of the bacteria and everything I guess but uh, no one ever knew that Brussels sprouts tasted good until sometime in like the late like 2012 sometime I don't know something like that first time I ever had Brussels sprouts in my adult life they were fried in duck fat and I was like holy shit these are good these have these have been the same the whole time and we've just been the same thing with like canned asparagus it's like asparagus oh, was yeah, ruined yeah. if you ever had like like the green giant you know I felt the same way about green beans growing yes. up it's just like I was like green beans are probably the most awful f- uh, food you could possibly yeah. eat because yeah, you try and pick them up out of the can and they just disintegrate the it's, color of them was yeah. odd too it's yeah. like an unnatural green yeah, like a Mount Olive uh, dill pickle. Yeah. Like neon. It's like, was this made with highlighter fluid? Because that's what it looks like. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> a- anytime. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can do a wh- whole probably show about how shitty my mom's cooking was. So. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you were <laughs> very forward with that answer. I like that. Um, Jesse, tell me about where you were growing up and what, uh, what kind of, or who was cooking for you growing up? So it, it was also my mother cooking for me growing, growing up. Um, you know, I'm probably going to be a little bit more diplomatic with my answer because she listens to everything that we do. <laughs> so. her, her cooking fucking sucks too. It, it, you know, it was it, that, you know, growing up in the eighties and early nineties, it was definitely kind of, it was just a rough time to, to, to eat at home. I feel like cause everything did come out of a can. Yeah. And that, I think it's that better homes and gardens cookbook that had like the pla- uh, plaid cover. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it's just like add jello to everything. It was just oh, like, yeah. and so that was like a staple around the house. I actually have a cookbook that my mother put together of like family recipes. And there's, you know, there's some things in there that I kind of like cherish a little bit just because they were like, you know, sorry, ma, they were the best in a bad situation. <laughs> but you know, it was just like, you know, you know, just like pork chops were pretty dry. My dad would cook on the grill every once in a while. You know, he, that it's, it was it was never a good thing. My mom was a, a wonderful <laughs> baker, though, so to give her props. Hold on, but when your this, dad got the grill out, was that like your saving grace, or was that media? There was. There's not really a saving oh, yeah. grace. See, my dad can. The, the, the sweets were. Dad so could make a, a steak, so that we, we had that for sure. Yeah, we, my I was always um, so that's where I developed my sweet tooth. Is I never had any boundaries as far as um, eating sweets. And my mom was pretty good at baking, so it was just like game on. Um, yeah. There was always something around the house for the, for that. So, yeah. um, and then I probably didn't start enjoying. I was a really picky eater. I just didn't like food. I didn't like butter. I didn't like cheese. I didn't like anything that even like normal kids would like. Oh wow. Um, so some of my fa- like we I was raised Catholic, so some of my favorite food was like when it was fish stick night. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just oh, fucking yeah. didn't like food. Yeah. What did um, your dad do to you when you would be a little, being a little shit at the table when you were vegan? I wasn't even being a shit at the table. Um, it was my dad who is left-handed. Um, I so he went out of his way. My dad's got these. Uh, just like sausage link fingers, like he's got. They're 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 girthy, and uh, and he, um, I sat to his right, and he would wait for me to take a bite of food, and then he would flick me in the Adam's apple. He was just a oh fucker, god, you know, like. <laughs> And he would do the same thing when I get home from school, and it was like I was going to take a nap, and so he'd wait for me to pass on the couch, and then he'd wake me up by plop, <laughs> plopping one right in my Adam's apple. Oh my god! Yeah. So if, uh, if anyone's wondering it. why I'm an asshole, there, thanks, Dave. But uh, 
Did you grow up calling your dad Dave? No, no, That'd I didn't do that until later to really stick it to him. I, oh. Like when I was like a, a teenager, I, like call, I called him Dave all the time. He hated that. I feel like getting flicked in the Adam's apple can inflict like some pretty He could have killed. I mean, I was eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he killed me. Yeah. I mean, ch- choking or blunt force trauma. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. So what? to get back at him, I uh, got really into animal rights. And I went vegan at 15, and then I told my entire family that they were murderers for eating meat, and turned them all vegetarian, and then started eating meat again when I was like 23. And so he was oh like, God. what, what? But you made it. <laughs> so, but it's also how I learned to enjoy food, because I didn't like vegetables. I, didn't, I liked cereal and red meat, and that's it, um, and sweets. And then going vegetarian made me forced me to try things and then I started to enjoy food and then yeah. when I went back to eating meat again uh, I just kind of like wanted to try everything so and where was home Jesse what's up where was home home okay so I grew up uh, I was gonna, you're gonna say California I you? was born in California I lived there until I was eight and then I moved to uh, the suburbs of Atlanta in when I in, in 88 when I was eight and okay. so and I grew up there okay is that gotcha. why you have such chill vibes definitely played a part in my chill vibes, <laughs> California. <laughs> I think everybody gets ripped on who, when you were born anywhere on the West Coast, but then like you moved. Like my dad got a job in Boston, and then we moved over there when I was four. But a lot of people that they just feel well, really. Insecure. I think no, it's mostly because we're just making fun of him because right. he spent he's been in Atlanta for thirty years now, and he still tells people he's from California. I'm from fucking California. I lived in California for eight years. I think it's cool. But I also remember staring at him. Like, you, when you're born in California, you're like, I live in the coolest place yeah. in the world. It's totally. what you think. Yeah. And you were eight when you left, Jesse. I remember staring at a map, <laughs> and I, I looked at the map, and I was just so depressed that I was moving to this awful place called Georgia. I was just like... It was, you know, it's also the '80s. You just. But also, where were you in California? It's not like you were like living right outside the Bay Area. You weren't living in an apartment above Gilman Street. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, On the Sunset Strip. But I was 20 minutes from San Francisco. I mean, it was not far. So. Where did you guys move to in Georgia when you were a kid? Uh, it was like Roswell, Marietta, just oh, okay. right, right there on the border. Yeah, that's a pretty big change. And, and that's also in 88, so I was just like, I went. it was like some severe culture shock. Yeah. So I was like, I swear I'll never talk like these people. I hate that. And now I'm like, man, y'all is just the most convenient. <laughs> like, it really I don't is. know why you wouldn't say y'all. Yeah. Like, people should say y'all yeah. all over America. You can, buy, you can buy a shirt from Citizen Supply that literally just says y'all. I think it's great. It's important. I'm not going to go that far. But okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, I'm glad that we, we get to have you here instead of California. So. I'm happy to be here. I, I, yeah. I, I love it now. Yeah. I'm glad that, I'm glad that you moved here. That's, Thank you. That's, Me too. That's Me great. too. Yeah. Me too. Matt, um, so we already covered that you're from Florida, but who cooked for you growing so, up? So Miles and I actually grew up in uh, a town called Port Orange, which is like right outside of like New Smyrna and Daytona. Yes. But I, we don't say that because nobody knows what the fuck that is. Um, and then, um, my parents, neither of them could cook for shit. They couldn't cook their way out of a wet paper bag. Um, they, my mom would fucking like, don't get me wrong. Susan is the shit. Like I love Susan. Uh, does everyone use their parents' first names now? Do you call them Dave and Susan? I started doing it when Jeff, when I found out Jesse. When when your mom's called Bonnie, you don't exactly call her mom, do you? Oh yeah. You have to say Bonnie. Yeah. Yeah. Bonnie's a great mom name. Uh, or just a great name in general. Yeah. And, and, I, and I really, and when I found out that Jesse would call his parents by their first names, I was like, I'm going to do that for now on. I like that. That's really funny. Um, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. And it, yeah, so Susan used to make this thing called Halloween hash, 
and it was fucking canned beans, canned corn, and and ground beef with no seasoning. And and, and we would get it in January. And I hated it. Oh my god. <laughs> Wait, why January? I don't know. It, we got it all year long, but it was called Halloween Has. I thought you were going to say that she put candy corn in it. <laughs> fucking A, man. She should have. Uh, and then, uh, and, uh, and her, like, man, like, I wish we could, if I had a time machine, just so I could show you guys how shitty these steaks that he could cook. Like, it was the driest thing that's ever happened. Um, so when I, moved, when I moved to Atlanta in 2002 or three or whenever that was, I, that's when I really started to eat good food. I didn't, you know, grow up eating anything that was like, uh, like culinary, like, I mean, nothing, I don't know. Like, my parents couldn't cook for shit. Um, and I think in, in college, we would, uh, we would like experiment a little bit with uh, like chopped up hot dogs and ramen. Um, that was tight. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, that's pretty much my history on, on food and how, how I got started. <laughs> it's all coming together. <laughs> oh, Miles. Uh, well, so Port Orange. Yep, Port Orange. I um, was born in Massachusetts and moved to Port Orange when I was five. Um, but I still, since I moved there when I was five, I, I don't say that I'm from Massachusetts. Do you say you're from I, California instead? I, I think that because I didn't know you were born in Massachusetts. Uh, uh, yeah, so I... Um, <laughs> And my parents moved there. And so my parents were, were are Yankees. Um, my mom grew up in Pennsylvania, and they met in Boston. My dad was from the uh, Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area. So, and so um, I don't have, like, as much of an interesting story about food because my parents weren't, like, that bad of cooks, but they weren't that great of cooks either. So, I mean, they would, you know, the vegetables that my mom would cook, it wouldn't be canned stuff, but it was, um, she was very conscious of, like, not doing fried or heavily buttered or salted. So it was kind of, some of the stuff was kind of bland. So she'd like do green beans and steam them and then like put almonds on it or whatever, but there wouldn't be, it'd be very low fat, low salt. Um, But then she'd make some good stuff. Like she'd make chicken cacciatore that was really good. And you know, the classic, you know, spaghetti and just a lot of classic stuff. And, um, but I'm also an only child. So we we kind of went out to eat a good bit. Like, you know, we'd go out to eat uh, at least once a week, a couple times a week sometimes. Um, So uh, yeah, Matt was actually, my dad and I would go to Applebee's where Matt was a grill cook. um, And he would pick us out the like, you know, primo steaks and uh, would would be like, I picked the good ones for you guys. And and, uh, Matt's had a lot of jobs. So we'll get into that at some point. He and I together have worked uh, 11 now if you count Watchmen's um, but uh, just th- those are the jobs we've had together Whoa. and he's had like probably 32 on top of that so Holy cow. Um, yeah but yeah as far as, as far as growing up cooking both my parents cooked they would kind of switch off and wasn't great but it wasn't terrible just yeah <laughs> hey let me ask you a question before he moves on to the next question in general now that we've got kids and you're cooking for Maddie and you feel like that you're experience in these two restaurants and being around chefs and chef culture has elevated your home cooking game how pissed are you going to be when you hear maddie saying the same shit about your cooking when she's an adult um i don't know i think that i don't think i'll be pissed i hope i don't think that she'll say that though because i think that i'm an excellent home chef <laughs> just kidding i'm not a home chef this is but, your, this is your daughter 
That is my daughter, Maddie. Yeah. yeah. How Brian old and I both have kids. Uh, she'll be three in June. Oh, wow. And Brian's got a two and a half year old as well. Yeah. And Gus. Yeah. So cooking at this stage. So I have a four and a two and a half year old. Uh-huh. So this stage is, uh, is really interesting because like, I feel like my kids are really spoiled because we take them like, where are we going to, we go out like once a week, you know, yeah. once a week as a family. So my kids are like, let's go get, let's go get burritos and wings from Monero at Pont city market. Like those words leave my children's mouth. But like when we were going out as kids, it's like, let's go get 38 tacos from Taco Bell. Like yeah, that was going out to dinner yeah. Yeah. and it was awesome. We could look, we were stoked about it. Or it was a, uh, did you guys remember Gators dockside? Did you have this in Port Orange? We didn't have a Gators. Dockside. Okay. It was a really just like stupid, you know, chain kind of restaurant, but it was just wings. Like it was like the, you get wings and there's like 93 flavors on the menu. Like that was going out. So, but I feel like that's the beauty of living in and around like the East side of Atlanta is you're never too far from an easy, uh, very, adventurous meal for for your kids and i feel like that's that's what i'm that's what i'm wondering when they grow up are they going to be really pretentious or are they going to have just more of a refined i think you got to find balance you know if you just take your kids to really nice restaurants and and cook extravagant meals then they miss out on some of the things that are just as important like mac and cheese and hot dogs and stuff like that yeah i think hot dogs in the mac and cheese that's what i grew up doing like i mean the hot dogs in the ramen i was totally there that was a big that was a like a really special college meal but uh hot dogs in the mac and cheese my kids haven't really gotten into that yet no gus will eat mac and cheese but he doesn't eat meat um and yeah i mean part of it is that we just have not really encouraged him to eat meat but we have offered it to him a couple of times he doesn't want it but yeah i mean he's psycho i mean he he loves green beans he loves uh english peas but the last night we go across the street to a matzah across from Kimball House, and they've got a kid's pizza that's literally covered in glitter on it. I mean, that's a that's a kid's like dream dream meal, I would think, like a Whoa. infant death row. Yeah, um, <laughs> he won't touch it. Yeah, he wants nothing to do with that glitter pizza, dude. It's so edible. Blame him. Edible. Yeah, so my wife just takes it for lunch. Yeah, yeah. Ed- edible glitter. I mean, or, is it, or is it just glitter? They're just like, we don't care if you can eat it I think it you not. can eat glitter. Oh, you can? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I thought it was made out of metal. You can eat anything you want, really. That is true. Yeah, <laughs> you, can, you can take a bite out of a coffee mug if you really wanted to, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I haven't taken my kids to a, a Maza yet. Uh, especially, well, now that they finally reopened the one over here on Edgewood. So I think we're just a, you know, one or two family date nights out before we go over there we'll get the well, glitter you may pizza. want to ask your kid if he or she wants glitter pizza before you yeah. try to force it on them because it could just be a leftover meal for you yeah. or your spouse and then i have to I have to go through the thing of um i'm eating glitter on pizza you can eat anything, you can eat anything. he's literally just pulled up a article that says a man who ate an airplane piece by piece yeah this guy he went for it is that you the guy what? i'm gonna fucking do that i want to eat an airplane is that the guy who played jaws from Bond? That's <laughs> serious. That is, okay. All right. You can eat glitter, everybody. Good to know. <laughs> you can eat an airplane if you want. You can also eat glitter. Dream big. Yep. So, um, someone take the question of, like, tell me, t- tell me, like, how your guys' stories, like, came to be as it is right now. Like, how did you guys come to meet one another? Because I know that you guys grew up in Port Orange together. So, you guys, and then I know at some point, both, did, did both of you guys get a full sale? We both did. So you guys both went to full sale. So where does everyone's stories like converge in adult life? We were working in a bar together. Really? Yeah. Which one? It's the Brickstore Pub over in Decatur. Yes. 
Oh my gosh. I can't remember the last time I was at Brick Store, but I mean, we used to go, everything that, that I would think of as like cool in my life was always like before like our kids were born. It's like, remember when we would just go out and like blow all of our disposable income mm -hmm. on things mm -hmm. that we just would never like bring back home? It was always just meals or like, let's go drink six beers a piece. A lot of booze. Yeah, yeah. a lot of booze. So you guys were all working at Brick Store. Yeah. Wow. What year was this? 2004 or five? 2004, 2005, I okay. think. Yeah. Yeah. Brian and Matt both worked there for a full decade, I, I believe. Um, and uh, Jesse came in a little later and hopped around because he was touring in bands. And uh, and I was there for about four years. Gotcha. Gotcha. And were you guys like balanced between front of the house, back of the house? Or were you guys we all, were all front of house? Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's actually something I think maybe a lot of people don't know about us. None of us are chefs. We all are. We're a restaurant group of all front of the house people. That's amazing. Um, who I, I would never happen to love food and think about it a lot. And now I now I know. I, yeah. I didn't know that either. That's that's really man. That's really cool. So so you guys are all working at Brick Store, and so 2004 you said right. So where where did where did everyone kind of where did everyone kind of go from there? Because Kimball House actually opened in. It was 2000, was it 2012 or 2013? 13. 2013. Okay, so between 20, 2004 and 2013, like, what, what happens between the four of you guys? A whole bunch of shit. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, well, we, like, pretty quickly, once the four of us started hanging out together, we decided that we were going, we wanted to do something. We wanted to open a, a bar was our goal. Um, Brian and I met in 97, and he was living in Valdosta, and he moved up here and was my roommate. And... Um, and he eventually got me a job and I'd never even, I didn't really care about anything that was, I liked partying basically, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, um, so, um, so he introduced me to like drinking better and eating better and, and whatnot. And so, um, but I definitely liked hanging out in bars. Um, and so me and Brian, Brian and I, it was like this kind of like pivotal moment where we were kind of out of college, didn't really have any real plans or whatever and we're just kind of like working and i was like man we should open a bar and that's and we were hanging out with these these two a bunch um at work and after work and whatnot and so um and we found and they were like brewing beer uh, they they only there was only one beer they brew they brewed a saison but um and so um but we just so good we decided to never do it again yeah yeah they just yeah <laughs> Possibly the best liquid that's ever been produced. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was all right. <laughs> but, but, uh, but we really liked hanging out with them and, and come to find out that they wanted to open a place too. So it, we just, we were pretty much like inseparable pretty quickly as a, as a unit, the four of us. Yeah. Um, and we had a, yeah, we, I mean, we just had a, a lot of similar interests. Um, a lot of the, the same sort of like adult juvenile, like hybrid interests. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I know that Jesse just said that I got him into drinking good or e eating well or whatever. But I mean, for the <laughs> most part, we were just, we were knuckleheads. Um, I, you know, Jesse was playing in bands. Um, I had the record label that released their records. Um, so that was like where I cut my business chops was selling <laughs> records under the moniker douche master out of my guest bedroom in my, uh, Pearl street, uh, duplex. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just, we, when we met these guys. It was kind of like, oh man, I, we felt like they were, if they were going to open up a bar, it was, they were kind of a threat to us because they were, <laughs> we were, they were concerned that they were more fun than we were. 
<laughs> and that's probably still true. We're still think, worried about that. I think, <laughs> I think they are <laughs> still. We didn't. We didn't know that this came out of this. This whole thing was birthed out of spite until after we had opened a business with them. It wasn't. It wasn't spite. It was just insecurity. <laughs> And we're just good businessmen, you know, like, yeah, right. <laughs> like why, like why have competition? We, we absorbed it. Yeah. Now, I mean, in hindsight, don't you recognize that you needed a couple of tier ones? Those are the people that go to bed first. And actually I'm the only one who's one of them. Yeah. I'm tier three now. <laughs> now that I have a child, I go to bed early. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think usually around like 10 o'clock, I'm like, man, I got to go to sleep. And uh, getting up at 6 a.m. and then you really start to feel accomplished by, you know, just doing like really simple things like, oh, man, I made coffee and got my day going before 7 a.m. It's small goals. You know, it's like I did a lot of things before my kids got up. Anything you can get done before the, the, the doorknob starts turning. Yeah. Are your, your kids are opening the door. He just he just he tries to open it. You can oh, just hear it clicking yeah, from yeah. our bedroom. It's mm-hmm. creepy as hell, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah my yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit like a horror movie. So it's just yeah. I wish I had a knob. I would just turn it back and forth. But then yeah. he gets frustrated with it finally, and it just turns into yeah, <laughs> which is even creepier. Oh my God, it's like goddamn pet cemetery. <laughs> but he's got this perfect meter, and I mean I don't know. I guess maybe the door is hollow. Uh, but yeah, it just it's. It yeah. reverberates throughout the house. There, there are some moments in life where I'm just really surprised by the actions that my kids take. Like, I remember my son opened the door one time, and then it did the slow open. And then he's just standing there staring directly at me, like hands at his side. And it was just like we were staring each other down. Like, he had just woken up from a nap. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen right now. I don't know what you're about to say or do, but you're terrified in that moment. Like, are you awake? Are you possessed? Tell me, like, it's just really weird. You know, you have like these moments with your kids. You're like, I don't really, I don't know. Like, how did, how did you know how to do this? How did you know how to be so terrifying? There's something about that size, like that is super creepy. Yes. (laughs) Like I, you think about horror movies and if there's like this giant, like behemoth monster that's attacking, you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like Godzilla. Yeah, like but big deal. Th- yeah, I'm not scared of Godzilla, but you got some creepy ass little puppet thing master shit. Yeah, yeah, puppet master. Yeah, I'm not really scared of those guys yeah. either. But uh, <laughs> but I was at one point. Yeah. And uh, but little things like that. Totally. Running around. Yeah. All fast. The uh, the movie The Grudge. Uh, friends of mine. Well, I don't know if they were actually friends. They introduced me to this terrifying movie. But uh, in college, they introduced me to the movie The Grudge. Mm-hmm. And to this day, this the the demonic possession little kid you open the closet and then they like jump out and they're running around like a spider kind of that that shit waste oh god i can't i don't know man i can't handle that it it really it just it really freaks me out so yeah yeah. i'm with you yeah that's why i'm not having kids they're terrifying little things oh you don't have kids (laughs) you don't have kids yet no i'm too scared okay yeah well (laughs) yeah yeah that the that stuff really does happen but um but anyway, let's um let's let's shift gears just a little bit. And um so tell me about when you guys get to the point of of actually opening Kimball House. Like how did you guys settle on the space indicator and just like talk to me about like what was life like when you guys actually opened indicator back in twenty thirteen? I, I do I do think it'd be like it's it's kind of interesting uh and, and like worth mentioning about um so when we when we all met and the two friend groups became one uh, at some point, we decided that we were going to start meeting every Wednesday at, at Brian's house. Um, and at, I don't know, like at first it was like 11 and then like, but we did that. I mean, shit, 
how how long we how many we met for like six and a half years or something like that That's every that. Wednesday unless we were like one of us was like too hungover in the that was literally that every me. Wednesday yeah um but and then at some point along that journey we decided that we were gonna set up a a, a joint bank account at a uh, Wamu and you could put money in but you could not take money out unless all party members are present and we fucking did that for a lot of Wednesdays. I mean, like I, like, like I said, like six and a half years were the Wednesdays until finally we were able to hire a proper uh, 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 consultant and help us build a, a real business plan and, and, and open up our first restaurant. But part of that consulting period was that, um, oh man, I, we had this consultant and uh, his name is Alan Jones and you know, he was just kind of like the, the Yoda of the business plan industry. Um, he was very old and he had a very soft voice, but he would always tell you what you could do to make a lot of money. What um, what part of Georgia is that accent? Is that like central Georgia? I'm not sure. I think it's because he's eternal. Looney Tunes? So it's oh, Georgia? Really yeah. 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 He'll never die. He's That's like why he has that accent. Foghorn yeah. Leghorn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he might have been a thousand. But either way, you know, he... He gave us these instructions and these guidelines, and we were out there looking for people to invest in our restaurant in 2009, which, if you recall, was not really a great year. Great time oh, for man. people with so no, many good things. no business history to ask strangers for money. Um, so, anyways, we were we had you know we were going from one failed meeting to the other. Um, we had uh, one set up on this particular day and everybody was on the way to it and uh, the guy i don't know if he i don't know if he didn't show or he canceled or uh, i can't recall exactly but either way the meeting fell apart and uh a couple of these guys were were driving um down to cab avenue or i'm sorry down college avenue and saw that the the lady that owned the restaurant that had been in what is now kimball house was was physically moving out Wait, Miles, didn't you see didn't you see that on What Now Atlanta? Yeah, the 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 unfortunate thing I Hold think, on, my story's better. Total uh, coincidence. It was uh, contr- th- this whole time it was contrived. I had no uh, idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think at some point we knew we weren't going to be able to afford to do a a uh, a full build out. Um, and so we started this is kind of morbid, but we started being like, you know, the vultures that were looking for any place that was going to maybe not be there anymore that we could kind of find and, and move like, into. Not have to move every it's really like dark perspective to have is just hoping for as you're trying to like build your dream bar is hoping other people's dreams yeah. are failing. Yeah, yeah, dreams are built upon uh, secondhand grease traps and hood vents. Yeah. So we have this really great business. Let me start over. Do you know anyone whose life is just falling apart that we can swoop in and take everything out from underneath them? Yeah. That's a that's a fun way to start a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're awful people. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. it, it That's it a fun was, way to put it. By necessity. I mean, you know, a, a new restaurant build out is grease traps, hood vents, like Brian said, so much money. And when yeah. we were going to the bank, Brian said something really funny. Um, to, I, I think it was for when we were presenting our plan. He used the term, we're, we're a little... Uh, Debt heavy, cash shy, but we think we've got a good business model. <laughs> <laughs> so we did what we could. Yeah. So yeah, you had to have four legs. We're like, well, we don't have any money. 
So yeah, that get, was a, get it through your thick head, Mister Banker. I don't need fucking money. They're like, you got a great, you got a great business plan, and a um, yeah. Anyway, some fucking chair metaphor. It sucked. <laughs> Hated it. So when you guys were going into meetings, did you guys have the concept of Kimball House in your minds? Is that what you guys at were that discussing? point in time? We did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, we had a we had a, a pretty clear picture of what we what we planned to do, but I mean, it wasn't entirely mapped out. And honestly, I I think that. Kimball House would not be Kimball House in another space. I mean, to to the to the measure that it is in that train depot, um, because we were. I mean, I think that we were channeling some stuff that was like sort of turn of the century, and we were certainly interested in the history of Atlanta and how it would play out and what we were trying to do. But um, you know, there's just there's not a lot of old real estate that's still standing in the city, right? Um, and so to to be able to put a restaurant that is kind of riffing on some some sort of classic food and drink ideals to be able to put it in a in a, a, a 19th century train depot with natural light on three sides really gave us an opportunity to do something that uh, aesthetically is, is special um, but wasn't necessarily cost prohibitive. Yeah, I, I think the first time that I actually got to to go to the actual Kimball House space. It was actually an event that you guys did with, um, oh gosh, uh, Elliot Moss from yeah, Boston. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like, th- I know those guys pretty well from like Chaipani and like uh-huh. Marijuana. And um, so they're like, hey, you got to come out and like, you know, we're doing this thing, Buxton Hall in Asheville, but like Elliot's going to be at Kimball House. And like, I've, I just saw that Kimball House opened, but like I had actually not been there yet. And uh, so that was the first time that I actually saw where Kimball House was. Uh-huh. And I was just like, that is so fucking cool i just I, I, there was something really great about that space i mean i think i what i really appreciated so much about atlanta and just like watching things grow is like instead of you know like you know Krog, i mean where we're sitting now or like pond city and like instead of just starting over it's like hey well you know it, it might not be ideal you know i mean i was i sat down with uh with ann quattrano and um she she said the same thing about bacchanalia it's like you know, the, it's beautiful, like, being in a space like Westside Provisions, like, you know, train yard, like, you know, they were slaughtering pigs here and, like, all this kind of stuff. But then when you open a restaurant in a brand spanking new building, it gives you a completely different perspective on, like, what you're actually working with. But mm-hmm. it's, um, it, is really, it is really interesting to see, you know, such a space. And um, it's, very, it's very unsuspect from the outside. So I, I didn't know what I was actually walking up to. I was like, this is Kimball House. Wow. We, no well, yeah, we had got a lot of, caught a lot of grief back then, too. Yeah, I uh, because the we same did, shit. We, I mean, we have a, I don't know if you've noticed, but Watchman's, I mean, there is some paint on that door, but we are, we are notoriously consistent about running out of money before we've put a sign in front of our restaurants. <laughs> We're now two for two. Gotcha. Batting, batting a thousand. And, and how many people said, like, like, a shitload of people said to me, they're like, that building's cursed or like you don't have a parking lot you're never gonna make it over there and we're like man like curses aren't real come on like and when we when we leased that building from city of decatur there was that dining room there was nothing in there uh the fans were there but it was a concrete floor and walls and that and that's it so we we had our concept dialed in real hard before we we uh hired a designer and uh, Square Feet Studio, and uh, we had like up, you know, Pinterest pages with like chairs and back bars and tile work and bar tops and fucking every and like leather booths and everything that we wanted it to look like. And then took uh, 
John from Square Feet to New York to a bunch of bars that we liked just so he could like really mm. feel because we would jokingly, we were saying that we were worried that it was going to end up looking like a Cracker Barrel or something if we would have designed it ourselves. But we <laughs> definitely knew, uh, we definitely had a, a, a very, very dialed in vision of what we wanted it to be. Yeah. I think part of that was the beauty of us, it taking so long for us to secure financing was we had so much time to think about what we wanted to do and really like constantly keep adjusting what we thought would make sense. And at the time, there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of places in Atlanta now that kind of have that look that goes um, more towards the past than, yeah, but, but, but we, it wasn't really the case when Kimball House opened. A lot of places were still that kind of like new south, modern, chic aesthetic as far as 100%. the new bars and restaurants in like a casual fine dining setting. They all had more of a modern look. And so um, we thought we were like bringing something kind of new by bringing something old back to the city. Yeah. I think that, that was really the first thing that I really remember walking in. Cause I think I went with, with just some friends just to actually just get cocktails and oysters. That's the only thing that we were going for. Um, I know that there's more on the menu, but you know, that that's all that, you know, that's all that we knew, but, <laughs> but I remember people about 36 months to find out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, there's more. That's great. Um, but yeah, there was a, th- there was a very, um, there was something very, very serious that stood out just about the aesthetic. You know, I mean, it was very different. I mean, I, and it, it's been a, you know, it's been a little while since I've been in, but I mean, just like the height of the bar and like how much, you know, the theme was really carried up, like how, how far up to the ceiling it really went, that really stood out. And it was, it was very, very different. And I think that was one of the, um, one of the events that I went to uh, back in probably like 2013, I actually met John Bensick from Square Feet Studio and, um, you know, and I, I remember meeting him and like, I didn't really know too much about the work of an architect or a designer, you know, especially from the perspective of, you know, how are you, how are you kind of setting the precedent of like, this is the concept, but it's also, this is the, this is the look and feel that we're really going for. And that's really where I started to really pay attention to more of the work that they started doing in and around Atlanta. And oh, that's cool. Yeah. And just so much of what they've done, you know, just in the past, I don't know, three, four years, like watching recess come about, like, you know, I, I love that they're working with Jared Steber. Like mm-hmm. I can only, and just seeing, you know, how much more detail goes into projects that they've touched. It's, it, it gives you a different experience and where that's what I really try and, and I loved having them on the show. Like yeah, they have such a great perspective. John and Viv are, are great because you can kind of contribute as much or as little as you want. And for us, we've always wanted to contribute a lot to the, the aesthetic and vibe of our restaurants. Um, and we, we, for the most part, rely on them to like help us put the puzzle together um, and help us kind of figure out some unanswered questions. So, I mean, they're real detail oriented. But, yeah, I mean, it's the, one of the things that I know that all four of us can 100 percent vouch for is that there's not I mean, look at the difference between Watchmen's and look at the difference. But well, this restaurant and Kimball House um, and they're able to interpret your vision without injecting a ton of their own ego in it. And I think that that's awesome. And I think that's what makes that design studio so special. And I think that's what makes people want to work with them. Yeah, I know it's, it's really cool. And I mean, I think it's just, uh, it's really fun to get to know them a little bit more and, you know, see the types of people that they are and like having that perspective and they're just such great down to earth, friendly people. They're like, I would, I would sit down and hang out with John and Vivian like any day. You know, they're just that kind of people, not, not the type of personality that would typically think like, Oh, you're a designer. I don't know what your life is like, but they're just, they're just great people. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I think Smart we had to get them good and drunk before we decided whether or not we were really going to work with them. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, they're fun to hang out with. <laughs> Seen them on both ends of the spectrum. So, um, but, uh, but talk, to me, talk to me a little bit about, you know, just as you guys have been open now for, I mean, so when, when will it be six years? September. September. Okay. So six years in, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's funny too, because like, you know, having conversations with people and especially now where so much, you know, making it outside of like 365 days can be like a badge of honor. You know, it's, I mean, sometimes like proven concept and, you know, especially today's economy, the way that people are dining, like sometimes like just getting that under your belt can be, you know, a big hurdle to get over. It just depends, you know, but with you guys, with like six years, you know, how, how has the, how has the business like either changed or stayed the same from you guys' original vision? And then, I mean, especially talking about accolades, I mean, you guys have been, you know, across, I don't even know how many years, like with like James Beard and, you know, for, for multiple, you know, multiple avenues of, of Kimball house, but you know, what, what's it been like for the past six years? Well, I think a lot of it's, it's been interesting because we had this bizarre idea to try to make this place that was sort of high end, but not feel high end. And so we, we wanted it to be a place that you could, I mean, we put caviar on the menu since day one, which kind of is a statement, but at the same time we insisted that we were also a neighborhood bar. And so that, that whole, and somehow that idea worked, which is kind of, it's like, I was thinking about it yesterday. Actually, I was just like, how did that, how did we do that? But it's just because we sort of insisted on it. And I, I don't know if the, the happy hour helps with that or, 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 or whatever, but, um, but it does feel like a place that you can just kind of like walk into and it is kind of has this weird cheers vibe. And then also you can really blow it out if you want to. So, um, and then watching, you know, us approach the six year mark, um, you know, people respond to that and felt feel good when they come in there. So, uh, you know, we've just seen like this sort of like, and we're, you know, we opened up a second business and so we're there a little bit less and, but we try to go as much as we can, but it's just like, it's just become this like its own thing now. It has nothing to, it, it feels like that it has nothing to do with any one person or any one thing that it just kind of is. And it's kind of become this, like, for, for me personally, this, like, magical place. Mm-hmm. Like, where I'm just, like, like you know, because I've been extremely hands-off since opening Watchmen's. Um, and, um, and I walk in there, I'm like, God, this place is just, like, there's, 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 there's just some unmentionable sort of magical thing that happens in there. So, um, and I think that it, there's, there's the, that people, you know, re- respond to that and they want to, want to be there and we're just watching it become this like crazy place yeah it's it's been really cool too i mean you know since um since starting the podcast i mean a little more than a year ago and even getting to hear the perspective of kimball house from the perspectives of Jarrett steber or parnas you know now they're like doing completely different things but of like working there and and hearing about that vibe you know that you just described from their perspective, like working in the restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's the camaraderie of the, of the team around them and like what has propelled them to do and starting their own, you know, pop-ups and like just the connection of like people in the industry and, um, here in Atlanta, you know, it's, um, it's, it's been really interesting to learn it. Cause I mean, I've, I've also just been a customer, you know, I mean, just came in, had oysters, met up with friends, had cocktails, you know, like, um, just a place to hang out you know, kind of like neighborhood bar, like you said, but also hearing about it from the other perspective is really interesting. It, there is some sort of, you know, 
unspeakable magic about it, you know, whether it's the, the building or whatever. But you guys have really done something, you know, pretty amazing and very special. Thank you. We, we, we pined over it for a long time. Yep. So. It, it, also, we, you know, I think that with everything, you know, like we, we put a lot of like blood, sweat and tears, but like uh, got uh, like lucky, too, with like our staff, like having uh, like our bar manager, David Chapman and our general manager, Kizzy Patel. And when we when Molly was over there, now she's our general manager here at Watchmen's. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a shitload of other people like our our opening chef and in our current chef, like everybody the 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 whole we try to make this for both restaurants but everybody is works together there's no separation from front of the back back of the house like it is a team we hold each other accountable we work together well we we everybody understands that like you know it it it, it, it's all about the guest experience yeah yeah and we 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 always challenge them to think from the perspective of a guest because everybody that we work with likes restaurants it's not just a job. Yeah. So they, you know, and they'll go somewhere and if something weird happens to them, they always like take that to heart and try not to, that's like, you don't do those things in our house, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, with, with you guys coming up on six years of, of Kimball house, you know, and then, uh, how long has Watchmen's been open now? It's been almost a year, right? It'll be a year in June. Year in June. So what, what was, you know, I mean, I remember when, um, I remember there was another restaurant here, you know, when, when Krog opened and, um, you know, what did you guys want to do here? You know, that was either going to be, cause it's really funny. I mean, like you go up what two blocks, you know, and hit DeKalb and then if you go just, I mean, it's, it's really so funny Not how very far. No, it's so funny how close, you know, Kimball house and, and Watchman's are. So did you guys want to bring something similar just with like a different, um, I mean, just essentially different setting, you know, there were, with, with opening here. I think that there was, we had made so many of these like rules with Kimball House that we just were like, this is the way it has to be no matter what. And that we found ourselves sort of being like exhausted by those rules in some regards. And so we like, there was some elements of us wanting to break our own rules um, and maybe be a little bit less polished altogether because we were we were not polished before Kimball House. We had to like, we made it up and we learned it doing that. Yeah. So I, I think that we wanted to break some of those rules a little bit. And then now we're finding that like, we, we like those rules. And you know, this is kind of embarrassing too from like a design element that we were like doing a Pinterest board again and we'd be like looking up oyster bars on like a national level or something like that. And we'd be like, ooh, that place looks cool. And then we were like, oh shit, that's Kimball House. <laughs> It's like, really like, we're like, Ew. also part of it, we were like kind of fucking sick to death about not being able to get a piece of fish from the South. That was like another big driver for like our concept over here. We were like, man, how come you, it's like so hard to go out to a restaurant in Atlanta and like get Southern seafood in, even though it, like not Southern cuisine, just actual fish from the South. And we have a coastline in Georgia. And that was like another big thing. I feel like for the, for the group to like, Let's focus on getting like the freshest seafood source from the South possible. Yeah. And then Brian's work with Southern oyster farmers it was like a big like impetus to do something different. Cause we, we did want to like be able to, to not, we, it had to be different from Kimball house in some regard. 
um, because we were just not going to open. It's not Kimball House can't be a chain, you know. So and we we wanted to do more than one spot, and we don't ever want to do the, the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So Brian's involvement with Oyster South kind of like was a, a big like sort of um, impetus to 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 go in this direction. Yeah. Brian, and would you like to talk about Oyster South? <laughs> nah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank um, you. No, I mean, I don't really need to talk about the, the nonprofit necessarily, but I mean, yeah, we were at a point where our access to high quality oysters from all over North America was, it was greater than we could handle. I mean, there's, there's too much stuff coming out of the South now for us to try to take care of all those farmers. And, you know, we can't single-handedly take care of those farmers anyways. We just have a, you know, a couple of small businesses, but you know, we did want to show support. Um, and it was an opportunity for us to kind of, you know, take what we know at Kimball house and, and take some of that experience, but contextually change it very much. Yeah. Um, and you know, with, a, with our aesthetic here and with the fact that we are hyper-focused on Southern seafood and with that oyster bar, that was there already, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, well, I was like, well, hell, there's an oyster bar here. I mean, I know a lot about oysters. Why don't we just sell oysters again? Um, but, you know, the one thing that, that the city doesn't have and what the South didn't really have, and they, there's more of them popping up all the time, and I think that's awesome. I don't feel like it's competition. I just feel like it's, you know, kind of the industry um, responding responsibly to the fact that there are a lot of sustainably sourceable shellfish on our gulf coast but yeah i mean we we just said okay we're gonna we're gonna source exclusively from the south um we'll get as much exposure as we can to the people who are taking some financial and physical risk on an industry that's brand new to our coastlines and um see if we can uh, push it forward a little bit yeah yeah it's um it, it's it's interesting too because i feel like so many so many people that um that either they they like oysters they grew up eating oysters that's something where they like to go out and it's either something that's kind of the the precursor to the rest of their meal i think a lot of people that that i have had the conversation with the first the first time that someone had a different experience where now oysters is the destination if that makes any sense you Mm -hmm. know but um but we're going out and the main thing that we're focusing on is getting oysters was Kimball House for the longest time, and now it's Kimball House and Watchman's, which I think is cool. I mean, I think you guys have you guys have that type of um, it's like a gravitational pull. I feel like you guys have that type of notoriety in Atlanta, where if um, like the first thing that pops into a lot of people's heads is like, if you're going to go eat oysters in Atlanta, where are you going to go? It's like probably Kimball House, but now it's going to be Kimball House and Watchman's, and that's that's a really powerful that's a really powerful thing to have in a city that is very far removed from the coast, for so to speak. You know, I mean, we're not. I mean, we're a matter of hours drive. So someone's bringing them here, you know, so that's, yeah. well, you know, I mean, Kimball house has got a couple of things going for it. Number one is that we have over the past six years been afforded the opportunity to foster some relationships with farmers that are, that put us in a position to carry what I think are, you know, the, the best oysters in the country. Um, you know, not everyone has to agree with me and that's fine. But in terms of just like, overall picture pound for pound who we're working with what they believe in the way that they do their work i feel like those people are number one for the most part yeah um and uh you know kudos to them for being awesome farmers but also kudos to hero for making the rest of us look good because that guy in the with with an oyster knife is you know someone who 
treats his work super professionally and you know cares a lot about making sure that people are 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 happy with with his work and he cares a lot about us being happy with his work so you know i mean it's we've been lucky since day one to have a core group of people whether it's front of the house or back of the house yeah that really make our asses look better than we are (laughs) yeah hero hero and john leota are like uh two people that like make sure that like people are like putting out a, a quality product over there and like and, and like holding people to like our high standards yeah and I, i've actually sat with people where um they've very very and they're not trying to hide it but very honestly like i've never really had oysters i've never really had like good oysters i mean i never really had them raw you know i mean sitting with someone i mean i grew up eating oysters in florida you know mm-hmm. and it was hard for me it took a while probably until i was an adult to really like actually enjoy them you know and when when you're sitting with someone in i think the the right experience in the right environment and then everything is kind of full circle it, it makes someone appreciate it more than um more than just the actual the, the the action of that eating a raw oyster just the flavor of it it's really more the appreciation of it of like the work that goes into actually bringing this item from the from the ocean itself mm-hmm. to your plate how does that actually happen and then the presentation um, but also, I mean, I think when you dress it up in a, in a really good way, I mean, oysters are just like fun. I mean, I think that you just, you just keep them rolling. And I think that's kind of what I've seen with people. Like they haven't really done that before. And that, that wasn't the idea that they had. That was the oyster experience that yeah, everyone I mean, else would talk know, from, about. From a, from a sensory side, it's a pretty busy intersection. Oh yeah. Big so, time. You know, There's a lot that goes into hey, man, it. You, you better ask a question about cocktails before Miles passes out. Yeah. I'm a, that's, that's what I was. I do want to, I want to talk about oysters more though, damn it. Yeah. I, that, I think that there's some, this, one of the things about oysters that has this, that it's unlike any other food, even if you are sort of like dining as a group and like sharing things, there's something extremely communal about oysters. It's almost yeah. like they're, they're like the food equivalent of doing a shot. I feel like, yeah. And you know, like doing shots, like drinking like a, 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 a slug of whiskey just to the dome sucks, <laughs> <laughs> but why people do it, why they do it is there's this communal element that we're all going to do this and we're going to get too drunk too fast. Um, which, you know, there's, there's a time and a place for that too. Right. But you know, enjoying something slowly is probably better, but there, but oysters have this like communal element to them. I think that's why people draw to them. Like we're going to go, let's go get oysters it's yeah. because there's this, this. Yeah. Cause if you're sitting by yourself eating, you know, two dozen oysters, hey, like, that's tight too. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. <laughs> I mean, or that, you're sitting by yourself just doing shots of whiskey. Yeah. Or that, that people, there's, there's people, maybe some sadness. Yeah. People that. do that, but, <laughs> but I do, I do agree. I, I feel like oysters in, in groups of people where it's more of an experience between yourself and other people is really what makes it, you know, what it is the, so special, you know, to be what it is. But yeah. anyway, that being said, I do, yeah. I do do shots. Okay. Well, that's good. Good do do shots. I do. I do 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 shots. You do 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 shots. I don't do 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 shots. I don't even know what that is. You're gross. Very rapidly shifting question to Miles. Miles, can you talk to us about cocktails in general? <laughs> he sure fucking can. No, I don't know anything about them. <laughs> well, I, no, I have a question. Okay, hey, Stephen I mean, Hawking, can you can you speak about space? <laughs> Uh, no, I have a question though. So with, with you guys, like all, all of you, you know, especially, uh, having a lot of your story rooted in you guys working in front of the house, 
all the way back to Brickstore. How did you become, you know, more, more along the lines of, you know, bartending and, you know, getting more into spirits and like mixing drinks and like having that, you know, that, that very, um, like a very centric part of how you guys have done business. Like where did that, where did that like part of your life like start? Like how did, where, where did you take like your experience and like, you know, really elevate, you know, your education there? Um, well, I will say that, uh, there is one particular experience is that I got served a Sazerac for the first time over 10 years ago by um, a guy named Greg Best, uh, who is like, you know, Never he's like of one, of the, one of the OGs of the city. And uh, that just kind of, that, that was like a weird moment to where like, I, you know, I really liked beer. Um, I liked, you know, Belgian beer and craft beer and thought it was interesting and liked drinking whiskey, you know, like trying different scotches and bourbons and rice and stuff. And um, but that like little red drink that looks like just a kind of slug of whiskey that had so much history and like complexity to it, um, I thought it was amazing. And then it was also at the t- I was kind of like was able to do a ton of research and collect books and just get into it. And it became a hobby. And um, it would I'd be lying if I didn't say it was a little bit right place at the right time because it was. Uh, right when the cocktail scene was still pretty new to Atlanta. So there was a lot of people that wanted to write about it. Um, and I was getting a lot of press and that kept driving me to continue to push and do more and keep, keep getting deeper into it. And that it just kind of snowballed. Yeah. Cause I mean, you guys have, you guys have ended up, I mean, with a lot of, a lot of headline attention specifically around the, the bar of Kimball house. And now, I mean, seeing the same with, with Watchmen's like people are, are, there's a there's a large following I think holistically about what your guys' business is between both places, um, but a lot of people I think also know. I either it's their it's their first introduction is usually like getting a cocktail from the bar. Do you guys see that? I mean that's that's really what I talk to a lot of people about. Like I mean they're, they're like they're they're like really looking forward to to visiting and like cocktails are a major part of every visit. Yeah, I think I think the the cocktails and oysters are what will typically get people into the door. And then I think we can get them to come back to both restaurants because the cuisine is like this surprise element of like, oh, it's also a serious restaurant that has really good food. So I think, you know, the cocktails and the oysters, they, they are like, you know, they're, they're buddies. You have, yeah. you have them together typically. It's like, you know, a, a really historic pairing and, and they're both kind of celebratory. And uh, I think that that's a huge draw. And Brian's incredibly focused on... Um, quality with oysters and I'm the same way with drinks and I think when you have them both being treated right and and done uh you know executed perfectly every time that somebody comes in um then that's you know that's kind of you know we're not known for uh the fastest oysters or drinks at either place but we will never cut corners in either area no matter how busy we are so I think that's like we take pride in that and we'll always do it the right way every time yeah I think the the first visit that I had to Kimball house, uh, sitting with friends, we've had oysters. And I think we were on, you know, like let's order another couple of drinks from the menu. And that was the first place that I ever had absinthe. And I don't remember what the drink was, but it, uh, it was, oh man, I feel like I have that right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, I mean, we, yeah. we maybe had an afternoon delight or, you know, one of something. the champagne cocktails it, that had absinthe in it. Yeah. But it was just, it was something where like absinthe, like I don't even know much about it, but I mean, it was just something that was really, it was new to me. Yeah. You know? And I was like, man, like that's, I didn't, I, I really, I had to like research like what absinthe is and like, whoa, you know, it's, <laughs> but it was, it was really cool. I mean, it was, it was something that was, 
very it was, it was not like ubiquitous you know it's not like everyone's doing absinthe cocktails right, right. now it's like that was the only place that i ever knew about it and that's the place that i learned about it as well yeah so. well everybody uses it in very small amounts like yeah. a drop here a, a, a spray in the glass there but we mm-hmm. were definitely we'll, we'll, we're not scared to put an ounce of absinthe in a drink and still figure out a way to balance it right so <laughs> yeah it was really cool what i meant by that was thank you yeah so. thank you <laughs> <laughs> um there's a there, there's another there's another like I guess area of the business that I want to hear from, from your guys' perspectives um, as we're like rounding out here, but you guys have done a lot in just in terms of building community around the brands now. I mean, I think you guys have a very serious sense of, of community that is, is kind of like playing into that, that magic a little bit that you were talking about, Jesse, like, um, and a lot of that has made its way into, you know, some really great nonprofit work. I mean, whether it's with Oyster South or like the Giving Kitchen, you guys have done a lot to give back and build some of that very real community, both in the industry and also from the diner's perspective or the eater's perspective, public, you know, and um, it's it's been it's been really cool to see it from my perspective, you know, of like of watching you guys grow this this stuff. But what's it been from from your guys' eyes, like to really see this community, like, and just people who are really excited about what you guys are doing, um, just in general. And then I have another question just regarding oysters that was, um, we'll get to that though. Um, I, I think that that, you know, it, it might seem like it's unique to us maybe, but I don't think that it is I, because of who we were, who was, opening restaurants and passionate about it at the same time as us um, because I feel like that there's a lot of strong personalities that came out right at the same time mm. um, and and you know you can't and, and so I think that it's from a diner's perspective that they see this community of people um, in Atlanta where it's not competitive and that everyone sort of like works together to make Atlanta a better uh, food community I think that it's just kind of like infectious for people. And I think that we just happened to be, it was like, it, once again, like Miles said, it was good timing. There was a lot of people who were, you know, like Greg and Reagan doing their thing right when we were trying to start. And, um, you know, we met Ryan Smith around that time and um, the Heidingers. And it was just like a lot of people who were doing, like starting to lay the groundwork for, for, for you know, what's happening now. So I think that, you know, we just always kind of been involved with that and try to meet people and yeah, that it, that's kind of, that's part of that. Yeah. And I think the James Beard awards this year might, might be, might, maybe people are paying attention on a national level. Yeah. A lot yeah. of Atlanta this year for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and some of that stuff that we do is, I mean, you know, giving kitchen has always been super easy because Jen and Ryan were friends of ours. They worked with this, the, the same eternal, um, uh, consultant that we did when, oh, they were okay. planning, when they were planning staple house and that's that's actually how we met them um so yeah i mean we were friends with them already so going through ryan's illness and then uh what the that core group of people ryan turner and and that group were able to do yeah. with with heidi and giving kitchen i mean that was just a no-brainer um and in terms of just like other stuff that we do that's community related i mean i don't know that i feel like we're all that great at it i mean we try to keep up with as much as we can. And, and, you know, it's our responsibility to, I mean, you know, there's lots of people that ask us for stuff in, in our communities and we try to do as much as we can because, you know, we feel like it's important. Um, it's not, we, we don't do it so that we can sleep well at night. We, we, we sleep well at night because of drugs and alcohol. Um, 
But I mean, yeah, I mean, I just think, I just think that, you know, in this industry, you kind of are like, I mean, we're not, we're not rock stars. We're, I mean, if anything, we're like shitty kiss at best. Um, kiss is pretty, they're not very good. Um, awesome. But <laughs> disagree. But I mean, you know, you, the, but you know, the, the Atlanta, Atlanta, and I mean, most metropolitan cities have the tendency to put people in the food and drink industry on a little bit of a pedestal. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that we're towering above anybody, but I definitely think it's our responsibility to make sure that, that we're doing stuff that's, that's giving back. Yeah. Um, just cause we have, I mean, that, that's where our reach is. I mean, if people yeah. want to, people want to give me a mic, then yeah, I mean, I, I might as well occasionally say something that's going to do some, some good in the, the city where we try to entertain people and get them drunk and fed. I, yeah. I, I think that we, we have, uh, you know, some environmental obligations as being in restaurants too. And, and yeah. restaurants are, you know, known for being wasteful places. And the fact that we are doing only sustainably caught seafood and farm raised oysters, which are, you know, filter feeders. And, you know, we haven't used a, we've been using metal straws at Kimball house since we opened in 2013. We've never used coasters or bev naps. You know, every bar, you look at every bar, they all have coasters and bevnaps. We've never used them in either place because yeah. a good bartender can wipe the bar up and you're not throwing a bunch of shit in the trash. Yeah. So when we moved into this building, Crog Street Market had zero glass recycling. Wow. And so we uh, pushed for it with Ticonderoga Club and now there's glass recycling here. So, you Amazing. know, there's like certain things, but for however long this whole market was here, yeah. everyone was throwing every piece of glass straight in the trash and yeah. we had to like fight and push to get to get uh, glass, re- just to get glass recycling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're not so. saving the world or anything by no stretch because no one can do that under this current administration. Um, but uh, we are trying to mitigate as much of sort of the wastefulness yeah. that we can. Well, and, in a, and then, I mean, how many um, did you guys do it by pound? Like you guys donated oyster shells back to the Georgia coast. Right. Yes, I mean that was that was really just a rough estimate. I mean, we we sort of gave a ballpark figure of it's probably a million oyster shells. Yeah, I mean, I probably, saw photos. That's probably it. closer to two million. Wow. Um, but I mean, you know, the deal with with oysters, especially oysters in the wild, or even diploid. Here I go, diploid oysters that are are farmed is that they do spawn, and a, a oyster spawn looks for something hard to grab onto. Um, so if you can if you can make build reefs with oyster shells, it, you've just basically generated a natural habitat for yeah. wild oysters to plant themselves, and to begin filtering and to c- clean up that particular area or provide some opportunities for biodiversity. So yeah, um, yeah, I mean we're 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 stoked that we were able to get that done through DNR yeah, and it was really cool um, reading you know, about it. We've now we've got two restaurants. So um, you know outside of uh, ordering oysters and running. Kimball House's payroll. I'm also responsible for sneaking up the fucking garage out here with my oyster shells because I, <laughs> oh, ru- I have to run them back and forth <laughs> across town is, is, you know, every, every 24 to 48 hours. And um, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily ideal, but what we're trying to do is just use any of these materials we can that we think that can uh, yeah. make an, a, a contribution to our coastal ecosystems. Yeah. Well, Guys, like with the last like couple minutes here, you know, I mean, first of all, I just wanted to say, you know, that the big thing, like, I guess, like kind of the dopey thing that I, I kind of, you know, pitch about this podcast is like, I, 
I really love hearing the stories of people who make Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. Not that that's aspirational or has to be truth or anything like that, but it's it's the people who who their stories are making up so much of what makes it such a special city, you know. And it's not a city that's built on like Michelin star restaurants. No, and all no, of, I like, mean this pretentious. You know, it's. I, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I mean I, I just have to comment because I know that was one of those things that we always talked about before we opened. Um, you know, Jesse got, if you look at his record covers and you look at him now, his nose has taken on a little bit different shape, but that's, and that's because (laughs) during that recession, uh, we had a pretty bad crime summer. Uh, it felt like everybody we know was affected by crime and Jesse got hit in the face with a table leg. And before we were like, you know, further into our, our restaurant concept, we were just all kind of just like, what do we, what the fuck are we doing here? Why are we staying in this place? It sucks. Um, but you know, we powwowed about it and it was, we had been here long enough that we felt like even though things weren't going the direction that we wanted it to, wanted them to at that particular time, we felt like it was home and we wanted to try to to do what was within our power to maybe make the city a little bit better and a little bit cooler. Um, and maybe that's more, um, maybe that's not accurate at all. Maybe we've made it worse. Uh, <laughs> who's to say? But I mean, that's that, real that was our goal. It's like, you know what? This is home. We're going to stick around. We're going to stick to our guns and we're going to see this through. And, you know, it, with, with some time, with some luck, we've been able to to do some stuff that, at least in our opinions, is, you know, yeah. pretty, pretty cool. I think a lot of people would echo that, man. I think that's that you. I don't even need to say anything else. You said it perfectly. So. Thanks. But um, but thank you guys, and I guess just uh, collectively, or you know, what's kind of next for you guys? Like, I mean, we're we're in <laughs> April, you know, going into the summer. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Cypress Beach Oyster Company. <laughs> Cypress Beach Oyster Company. That's the name okay. of it today. We'll see what the name of it is. Tomorrow. Yeah, nothing's okay. in ink yet, but okay. Gotcha. We might, have to, we might be investing in some extra tufts. Okay. Yeah, we're going to try to open up a oyster farm. Nice. I like it. Very cool. Well, I'm sure we'll be catching up a, about that sometime in the summer, I guess, you know? But, um, but man, we'll see. yeah. It's but been a couple years down the road. That's but we're, great, we're though. We're getting ready to that's, start wor- That's exciting. That's I will exciting. say that, you know, it took, us, it took us five years to open a second restaurant after we did our first. And we're not, we are, we want to be very hands on with our restaurants and we don't want to do anything that is, yeah. you know, too fast growth so that we can have something that actually like has all of our personalities and our right. hearts and souls in it. So I, I wouldn't expect to see us do uh, you know, a bunch of restaurants anytime soon. Yeah. Gotcha. Fast growth is bad growth in my opinion, yeah. well, at least for us because we're not smart enough to handle fast growth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's, that's really exciting to hear though. I mean, but I mean, even, you know, it's still just a really, it's always like a special experience to go to Kimmel House and then just, I mean, I've only been to Watchmen's twice and I'm looking forward to every other visit. So, but, oh, yeah. um, but, but yeah, but Brian, Jesse, Matt, Miles, thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so many thanks to Jesse, Brian, Matt, and Miles for joining me for this episode. And if you have yet to visit Kimball House or Watchman's, go grab a group of friends and buckle up for oysters kick-ass cocktails and amazing amazing service and check these guys out at kimball-house.com and also watchmansatl.com or go ahead and visit this week's episode page to learn a little bit more this podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me your host hello again 
Our design is headed up by JJ Getz, and if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to The Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry.